Thanks for listening to the podcast from Gary Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Wilson, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Lord, we, we thank you for the 31 years of your faithfulness. Lord, it's your faithfulness that brought us this far. And Lord, we thank you for the calling you have on our church to plant churches in eastern North Carolina that led us to change our name. Lord, that we're a, we're a church that recognizes the need to reach our Judea. And Lord, we, we want to pray for those churches that we partner with in our city to share the gospel in Wilson County and in eastern North Carolina. And today we want to lift up a partner church just down the street from us here, Christ Temple of Praise, Pastor M.K. Smith, a dear friend of, of ours and a brother. And we pray for their services today and for their impact on this city. Lord, we pray most of all that you would be Lord, that we're not trying to build our kingdom, but we're praying that your kingdom would come. And so, Lord, that's how we're praying today. Now, be with us as we hear your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, I began praying for different churches and different pastors, and I had people come up to me in the lobby and say, is that church okay? Is that pastor okay? Yeah, as far as I know, they're okay. Uh, I was uh, I was just letting letting you know that we're praying for other churches that are gospel centered in our in our area. And so, if you hear me praying for other churches, it's it's not that I know something that they're not okay with. I'm, we're just we're just thankful for their partnership. And so, uh, don't worry about Brother M. K. Smith. We're praying for him today, praying for their services. I just had breakfast with him and some other pastors last Thursday, and so it's good to it's good to lift one another up. And so there's over 80,000 people who live in our, uh, in our county, and uh, it's going to take not just our church, but every Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church in order to make sure every man, woman, and child in our county have multiple opportunities, repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel. And so that's our heart. Well, we're in part four of this series, uh, Renovate. And today we're talking about renovation of the will, renovating our will, and the heart is the seat of the will. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's a metaphor for the will, the place where we make decisions, the place where we make choices. And our theme verse for this series is found in Proverbs chapter four, which says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. And so that's where we make decisions. That's where we make decisions about what we're going to do, whether we're gonna follow our way or God's way. And today we want to unpack what it looks like to surrender our will to God's will. Dr. Dallas Willard in his book, Renovation of the Heart, writes this. He says, single-minded and joyous devotion to God and his will, to what God wants for us, and to service to him and to others because of him is what the will transformed into Christ-likeness looks like. And that's what God's up to. If you're a believer today, what he wants to do in us is he wants to make you more like Jesus, Christ-like, in our character and in our decisions and in how we live. And the transformed will, the, the renovated will, prays along with the prayer of Jesus, who prayed like this, Father, not my will, but yours be done. That's how Jesus prayed. And that's the continuous prayer, hopefully, of, of, of our lives today, that we pray, surrendering our will continuously to God's will. Have you learned to pray like this? Have you learned to pray as Jesus prayed? Have you taken on that Christ-like focus in your life? Or do you struggle with knowing and doing God's will? Now, the observation I've, 
I've made through the years is that Christians rarely struggle with knowing God's will, but they often struggle with doing God's will. We know more than we do. And so I would say today, are you able to obey God's will? Have you surrendered not just your heart to His will, but you've started making decisions according to His will? Now, Dr. Willard talks about an effect of sin that it has on our hearts. He calls it the splintered will, that the, that the heart has become divided. And even as believers, we still struggle with this divided heart that was corrupted by sin, and, 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 and it's divided in who it wants to please. Because the old nature, before we come to Christ, says, I want it my way. Like, like the old hamburger commercial, have it your way. That's how we want it. And that's really the attitude of sin. That's the heart of sin. The heart of sin is this. I want to do it my way rather than God's way. I, I, I will do it. And, and I've often said this. One of the earliest complete sentences that I remember our children saying is, I do it myself. I do it myself. And that's really the heart of sin. We're all born with that, a desire to do life on our own, to be the God of our own lives rather than allowing the Lord to be the Lord of our lives. And as a result, the splintered will, which says, how can I do it my way, ends up being manipulative and deceptive. And it, it wants its way, and it'll do almost anything to get its way because it has exalted self to the throne and removed God from the throne of, of the life. What would it look like, though, to put Christ on the throne? What would it look like to say, I want your will, Lord, because I'm convinced that your will, for me, is better than my will. Your way is better than my way. What would it take? Well, that's what we're talking about today. We'll be looking at a well-known passage in the book of Romans, chapter 12. Just a couple of verses, but there's so much here. As the Apostle Paul appealed to the believers in Rome and just challenged them to give their whole lives to Jesus. Hold nothing back to surrender their whole life to him so that he might transform and renovate their hearts and their wills for him. And I believe today that if you'll do that, God's just waiting for someone to do that, that you would just say, God, I want your will for my life. And it begins like that, doesn't it? Maybe you're not really sure what you're signing up for when you do that, but as long as you're willing to be willing, God will work with that. And then he'll tell you more about what it looks like to follow him. Let's look at the text today and see how that works for us, how we can submit our will to God's will for renovation. We're in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is God's Word. We're talking about the renovation of our will, allowing God to change and transform and renew our will. Here's the first way to do this. Here's the first step. Surrender every area of your life to God. Surrender every area of your life to God. That's the first step, and in many ways the most difficult one, because we do it by faith and we say, I've tried my way, 
I don't want my way anymore, but I'm still kind of scared. I'm afraid to turn it all over to God. I'm afraid he'll take something from me that I really love. I don't know. I'm, I'm scared. And maybe that's where you are today. And what it is is we have certain favorite things, certain favorite loves, certain maybe even addictions or maybe even, and we just don't want to let go of them. But it begins with surrender, waving the, right, the white flag and saying, Lord, I surrender my will to yours. And you begin with a willingness to be willing. And maybe as you encounter his will, you'll kind of struggle from time to time as you learn that he wants what's best for you. Surrender every area. Here's how the Apostle Paul talks. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, put your whole life on the altar. How does he make this appeal? Because he makes this appeal, he, he, he uses this particular language. It's kind of like I'm begging you to recognize what Christ has done for you by the mercies of God. What, what is he talking about? Notice the word therefore in verse 1. Remember what we always ask if we see the word therefore, what do we ask? You guys are so intelligent. You act like you've heard that before. Therefore, you should always ask what's it there for because it's like an equal sign in the text that says whatever preceded now equals this outcome or result. And so for 11 chapters, the Apostle Paul has taught us that we can be made right with God, that the righteousness of God has been revealed through Jesus Christ. And if we will receive the gospel by the mercies of God, we can be made right with God, not through any effort of our own, but because for grace you have been saved through faith. And so 11 chapters, he's been working that out. And he's basically saying this, since Jesus gave all that he has for you, he laid down his body for you. It's only reasonable that you should lay down your whole life for him. That, that's the therefore. That's the equation. Eleven chapters, he's told us what Jesus did. Now he goes, now what's your response? He starts in chapter 12, verse 1. He, he moves from, from uh, uh, the pronouncement of the gospel to the application or the prescription for the gospel in chapter 12. And, and, he, and he's beginning to say, now, since Jesus did all this, what... What, what's our calling? To do the same, to lay our lives down. But not to die, because he took our death, but to be a living sacrifice. Now, as the old preacher said, that's a problem. Because if it's a living sacrifice, it has a tendency to crawl off the altar. And so we have to continuously surrender. And so you might surrender today and you're, and, you're, and you're following and you get up the next morning and you have to surrender afresh because the, the living sacrifice starts trying to crawl off the altar. It wants its own way again. And so Paul calls us to this and he, and he's, and he says, present your bodies. It's, it's like offering. Offer your bodies. Like, and, and, and God's just waiting for you to do that. Who, who would do that? Who would say, God, here I am. All that I have is yours. All that I am, all of my identity, all that I have, all that I love, I now make you my supreme love. I'm going to love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. Lord, it's not much, but it's, it's me, and you've got me like that. Like, have you done that? that? That's the first step, and in many ways it's the hardest step, and that's to say I surrender. I surrender my way to your way. Have you done that? He says, I appeal to you to do it. I, I beg you to do it. Uh, that it's the, it's the thing that 
is expected for what, from what Jesus did. And, and he gives, it'll be holy and acceptable to God. Now, you might say, yeah, I don't have a very holy life. Because you're probably thinking of perfection. You're probably thinking of sinlessness. And certainly, holiness might have that aspect of meaning. But here, I think it has more the, the aspect that you would find in the old tabernacle teachings of the Old Testament where the Lord would say, okay, so this garment that Aaron wears, I want you to set it apart and make it holy. I want you to consecrate it and make it holy. And, and so now when he, he can't wear this outside of the tabernacle because it's set apart for special use. It's holy. And these, these implements uh, that I want you to use in temple worship, you can't use them at home. You can only use them in the temple. They're set apart for my worship. That word holy has, I think, more that idea here that if you offer your life to God, you've now been set apart, consecrated for special purpose, no longer to be used by the world, but to be useful in the kingdom of heaven. Do you understand what I'm saying? Holiness has more the idea here of being set apart, consecrated unto God, so that my hands and my feet and my eyes and my ears and my mouth and my heart that beats within me are all now aimed at serving God's purpose and not my own. I surrender. I surrender control as if you had some. You thought you were in control. How many here have figured out yet that you're not in control? Have you figured it out? Now, some of us are still trying to grab the steering wheel. You have to surrender. Yeah, but won't we run off the road? I mean, what, if I surrender, if I surrender, what, what will happen? What, well, that's the challenge. To by faith, trust that the Lord's way is better than your way. To surrender control and allow him to set your life apart unto him. Give yourself completely to God because you have a new purpose to bring glory to God. Look what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. Do not let sin control the way you live. You think you're in control, but actually when you try to be in control, sin's actually in control. Don't let that continue to be the mark of how you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely. Give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have a new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. So we live for the glory of God, to reflect His glory. We've been set apart for special use. I don't remember my father ever spanking me. He died when I was only eight years old. He, he had lung cancer and it spread to his whole body and he died. And it was a terrible thing to behold. It took a while. And it, was a mark, it marked our whole family. I'm the oldest of four children. He was my hero. My daddy was my hero. And I'll tell you this. I don't remember him ever spanking me. I'm sure he did. I just don't remember it. But I'll tell you what I do remember I remember those, those moments where I had done something wrong and he would take me, he would go, come with me, son. And I'd be, uh-oh. He would take me into my bedroom. I had twin beds in my bedroom. One was for me and one was for my baby brother. And he, he would have me sit on one twin bed and he'd sit on the other. He'd lean forward. He'd put one hand on my knee. He'd say, look me in the eye, son, be a man. I'm six years old. He wants me to be a man. 
Well, that's how it starts. That's how a father teaches his son to be a man. He, tell, he starts speaking it to him. And he said, look me in the eyes. And I look him in the eyes. That's hard because I knew I had sinned. He goes, when you talk back to your mother like that, disrespectfully like that, you disrespect your mother. You dishonor her. And you dishonor me. And worse than that, son, you dishonor the father. I'm disappointed in you. Man, I would cry like a baby. I mean, I would boo-hoo because my father was disappointed in me. Now, my mother, could tra- she could chase me all over the house with a switch <laughs> and just, just be striping my legs, and I would not cry. Dr. Dobson wrote this book years ago called The Strong-Willed Child. I should have had my picture in that book. <laughs> I would not cry. But my dad could look me in the eye like that and say, I'm disappointed in you, son, and I would weep. Because I did not want to displease my father. And today I want to say this to you. I'm not perfect and I make mistakes. And I'm, if you'll be honest with yourself, so do you. But my father loves me. My father in heaven loves me. And I do not want to disappoint him. I do not want to displease him. Amen. And when I do, it, it hurts my heart. And I want to repent quickly. And I guess that's what it looks like to grow in Christ, is you learn to repent quickly. You learn to keep a short list. So you don't have to confess all morning the next day, but you can just keep your confession short because as soon as you feel that you're out of alignment, as soon as the warning dash starts flashing in the dash of, of life's vehicle, if you will, you go, whoa, whoa, I need to pull over and get right with the Lord. This is the consecrated life. In the progression towards identification with God's will, it begins with surrender. You first have to say no to your will in order to say yes to God's will. We must recognize the supremacy, the sovereignty of God's will, that His way is better. And we begin this by saying no to our own will. If you ever done this, I would recommend it. Um, just lay down on your face. Maybe you can try it right here, but I don't know. People are watching. That'll weird you out probably. So, Just lay down on your face and just spread your arms out like, and just say, God, here, here's my life. Here's my body. Here's, here's my hands to do what you'd have them do. My feet to go where you'd have me go. My mouth to speak. My eyes to see. My ears. All that I have, I consecrate. I set apart my life unto you. Oh, my goodness. I think it was D.L. Moody when he was a young man, he heard another preacher saying, the world has yet to see a man who would totally be set apart for God. And he said, on that day, I determined to be that man. What would it look like to be that man or woman today who said, sign me up, Lord. I surrender my will to you. This is the first and perhaps the most challenging step towards Christ-likeness of the will of the heart. Here's the second. Offer your mind to God for transformation. Offer your mind to God for transformation. We've talked about in our previous weeks in this sermon series that the heart is the seat of the will, but there are these aspects of our lives that inform the heart. Two weeks ago, we talked about the, the aspect of the mind, which is the thinking the imagery, the memories, the thought life, the information of the mind, it, it informs the heart. 
either positively or negatively to choose God's will. Then the aspect of the mind called the feelings, the emotions, that informs the heart. And last week we kept repeating that feelings are great servants but terrible masters. That you shouldn't allow, you should be controlled by the Holy Spirit, that your will is in alignment with God's will. And then feelings can be the thing that follow rather than inform and rule. We talked about that last week. Now this week, we're trying to get at really, our, is my heart in alignment with God's heart? Is my will in alignment with God's will? And it, and it begins by offering your thoughts and your feelings to God. So you say, God, I need transformation. Well, let's look at the text and see what I'm talking about. He gives two commands. One's a negative command and one's a positive command. Two, two imperatives. The first in verse 2 is, do not be conformed to this world. That's the negative command. Stop doing something. Stop doing what? Being conformed to the world. What does that mean? To, to conform is an outward pressure. That It's an external source of pressure that's pressing in on the heart, pressing in on the will and the mind. And when we say the world, we mean the world system or the culture or the way the world thinks and feels and acts. And how does the world think and feel and act? It wants its own way. So that every person, as it says in the book of Judges, becomes a law unto themselves. And they want to do their own thing. And the more freedom they have, the more enslavement they find themselves under. But this is the world system, and, and, and we as believers are no longer to allow our thought life, our feelings, our will to be pressed into this conformed. The, the word conformed in the Greek is where we get the word schematic, like it's pressed into a form, like, like our, our way of living is, is somehow poured into this form that hardens. Don't live like that anymore. Unfortunately, the mark of, of the American church is that it really doesn't look any different than the world. We, we say we follow Jesus, but we don't surrender our hearts to him. And since we didn't surrender, then we don't experience transformation. And so our spiritual formation is still conforming to the way the world thinks. Paul says, stop it. But he doesn't just say stop it because that would, not, that would just leave us adrift. He goes, instead, i got something better for you. Be transformed. The Greek word underneath this is where we get the word metamorphosis. This is from the inside out. This is real change. Be transformed Be, by the renewing of your mind. This is great. This is awesome. This is new. This new way, we've surrendered now the old will. We no longer want to be conformed to that old way of deciding things based on conforming to the world's way of thinking. But now we live according to this transformed will, this transformed mind. It's been said that character is who you are when no one is watching. Character is who you are when no one is watching. Now, we're all, on our, we're all on our best behavior this morning, kids. As soon as we pulled into the parking lot, we said, okay, okay, get the smiles on. You shut up. You, hey, stop whining. Now we're at church. We get our, get our Christian smiles on. Let's all pretend. But you can't, that takes a lot of energy to pretend, you know. 
But who are you? Who, who you are when you're alone? Who, who you are when you're driving in your car by yourself and somebody cuts you off or they don't pull out immediately when the light turns green? That's your real character. That's who you are. That's who you are. That's who you really are. And your spouse knows who you really are, and so do your kids. They know who you really are. Characters who you really are when no one is watching. But we need help. So, so this surrendering of our will to God, the will is splintered. It keeps on, it keeps on being divided and wants to go back. Its, it wants its own way again. But So now we've surrendered, and we keep on surrendering, and now we're asking for transformation so that the will becomes content with God's will. Now, now it's not just willing to be willing, but it's willing. Now it really, and what's happened is, as, it, as the will has surrendered in other places and found out that God's way was better, it's learning. The will is learning. Oh, God's way is actually better. And so you start trusting more. So now you're moving towards contentment. But we need help. Here's what Paul says about it. He says this in Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, for his good will. So God, God's at work in you. He, he's, he's renewing your mind. He's renewing your will. He's doing a renovation. Cooperate. O offer yourself to him. Cooperate. Work out what he's working in. So this is, a, this is a human, divine cooperation. We can't experience this new will without the Holy Spirit's work inside of us, but yet we won't experience it fully if we kick against it. So there's a cooperation, a yieldedness that's taking place. Are you still with me? Because grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. You can't earn this grace, but after you've received this grace, work out what he's working in. Now, if you go to the gym, this would be great if gyms offered this. People would line up. Everybody would be going to the gym. They have an advertisement out, for, out front that says, for $50, you can buy a muscle. And on sale, you can buy two for 75 because you, you don't want to just like one over here and like one droopy over here. You, you'd want, you know, you'd be like one of those crawdads with one big claw and one little claw. You'd want two, right? You got the image, right? But that, that, nobody offers that. You don't, you don't go to the gym to buy a muscle. You go to the gym to carry your muscles and work them out because God already gave you muscles. You need to work out what he worked in. Now let's move that from the physical realm to the spiritual realm. He's, he's, his Holy Spirit abides in you as a believer, but you must surrender your will to him, get out of the driver's seat, and now that you've surrendered the will, stop trying to grab the steering wheel every time he takes a turn that scares you or that you're not sure you're going to like. Learn to be content and work out what he's working in. Now, how, how does that look? Well, you begin to talk to him about it. Now, Lord... You know I'm afraid to take this step or to head this direction. Or, Lord, you know, and, and would you tell me what's, what's the condition under me feeling lack of peace? Why do I feel anxiety right now? And it might be just because you've been suffering under the illusion that you're in control. And now you're losing control, and it's terrifying you. 
But once you get to the place where you have the transformed mind, now you're in the place where you're going, it's all good. All things are good. All things will be good. Because by faith, I look back at how far God brought me over these past 31 years. We started this church with seven people in my living room. I was, I was in my early 30s. I had no idea what I was doing. If I would have known how much it was going to cost me for us to be here, I'm not sure I would have had the courage to do it. But I just by faith said, Lord, do you want me to quit my job and go to seminary and plant a church? And the answer kept being yes. And I was like, I, I don't know how to do that. I don't feel qualified. But because of a simple yes, a simple surrender, not feeling qualified, not being qualified, it's kind of like this. He cares more about your availability than he does your ability. He can give you ability, but he, he allows you to make yourself available. Will you be available to God? If you'll say yes, offer your mind, offer yourself to him, and then work out what he's working in. He's at work in you. Stop fighting. Give in. The transformed mind has learned contentment in this. Paul, again, in the book of Philippians, writes this. He says, I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. He's learned. He's grown. As he's learned to trust God, he's grown to, to be content. He goes, I know how to live on almost nothing and with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And so you see the divine cooperation. He's learned because God has taken him through seasons of plenty and seasons of lack. And he's learned that God was there with him through the whole thing. Then we first, first planted the church. I was so on fire. I was so on fire for God. I said, God, I don't care if you take everything from me. I'm going to do what you said. I mean, I was full of emotion and fire. And then I went 14 months with zero income. And I went, now, God, I didn't really mean that. <laughs> the bank started sending people over to my house to ask me if they could have my house back. Apparently, the bank wants it back if you don't make payments for six months. Did you know that? Found that out. It wasn't just something somebody told me in a contract. They actually start calling you. They want the house back. I still live in the same house. God miraculously moved. But I really believe God wanted to move me from book knowledge to experiential knowledge, that I can be content in all things, that I can learn to trust Him. And because He brought me through that season of lack, then I learned to give Him all the thanks in the world in seasons of plenty. I learned that by faith I could look back, and then by hope I could look into the future, even though I haven't seen it yet, and I'm able to say, everything's going to be okay. All things are good. All things will be good because I belong to Jesus. That's right. Well, Gary, how do you do that? You don't know. I know I don't know. But he does. And as the psalmist said, I've never seen God's people starving for bread. God, God will take care of his people. And so I, by faith I take hold, by hope I look forward, and then love, joy, and peace pours out. Dr. Willard writes this in his book. 
Beyond surrender and contentment lies intelligent, energetic participation in accomplishing God's will in our world. We are no longer spectators. We're caught up in a vivid and eternal drama. This is where the spiritual disciplines are helpful, by the way. You know what spiritual disciplines are? Remember I was talking about working out what he works in? There's certain physical disciplines you have to work out, you have to do things. There are spiritual disciplines to exercise this yieldedness of the will. Spiritual habits, if you will. By the way, you're doing one right now, hopefully. You, you got out of the bed this morning. You didn't want to. At least I didn't. bed felt good this morning. It was like 30-some degrees. I had the temperature turned down in the house. It's just right. You know what I mean? It's just right. Alarm clock went off. Went off early because I, I get up and I have certain spirit, spiritual disciplines. I read the Bible and pray before I get out of the house. Took me a while to learn that. Took me some bad days where I got off track. So I get up earlier. It takes a discipline. The Lord doesn't make me just magically feel all happy when I wake up. Now that's my wife. He gave her that gift. Opposites attract. Her name's Robin. She wakes up like a little bird. <laughs> tweet, tweet, tweet. Smile on her face every morning for 44 years. I'm the opposite. I wake up with a growl. Then I go get some Jesus and coffee. And I get in the Word. And I discipline myself. It takes effort. But I'm working out what He's working in. And then I go, God, I know I'm not supposed to feel like this. This feeling is from my body and from my temperament, from my old nature. And I put it to death. Fill me with joy. I do feel a little bursitis in my right shoulder, but, but my shoulder still works. I got new knees, so they don't hurt as bad as they used to. Lord, just help me. I know you live within me. Now, I... I'm going to do my reading today, and I'm going to pray. Those are spiritual disciplines. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I'm working out what he's working in. Now, nothing will happen if he's not working in. In fact, he's doing the heavy lifting, but I'm cooperating. I'm not kicking against it. These are spiritual disciplines. On the back of the card that's on your connection card in your bulletin, there's a box you could check, Life on Life Discipleship. We teach five spiritual disciplines in our life-on-life -life discipleship process. We teach the discipline of holiness. We teach the discipline of prayer and fasting, Bible study, and others. There are many. I've listed a few. Spiritual disciplines are like exercises of the Spirit. They don't produce grace. Grace is a gift. But grace at work in us allows us to work out what he's working in. And if you work it out, more pours in. Like that. And you begin to grow and become more like Jesus. It's like practicing before a game. Now, if you, last week in, in small group, I asked my group, we went through the, the, the traits of the fruit of the Spirit. And I said, of, of these, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, which one would we need to pray for you about this week? And, and everybody dropped their eyes like, don't call on me. And I said, okay, I'm going to call on everybody, so you might as well think of something. 
And invariably, just about everybody in the room said something like patience, like patience. And then we talked about, hey, be careful about praying for that one. You pray for more patience, and guess what you get? More opportunities to practice. So, so but what, what you want to do is practice patience before you're in an impatient situation. So then you begin to ask for it. So here's what pra- you practice before the game. You don't get in the middle of the game and go, I need, to, I need to practice. Well, no, it's too late. You're in the game. So you practice in solitude and in silence before the Lord in prayer and in reading God's Word. And you ask, Lord, this is an area. And so help me today to practice patience whenever this happens because this, this thing is in front of me today and I know it normally triggers impatience. And so now I'm going to work it out in advance. And so, so you, the spiritual disciplines help you practice before you encounter the opposition to your love, the opposition to your joy, to your peace. Is this making sense? And so we're working out what he's working in. Here's the third. Here's the third. Willfully and joyfully follow God's will. It's the third step. So surrender. Abandon your will to his will, which leads to contentment and a transformation of the mind and the will. And then finally, we want to come to the place where we willfully and joyfully follow God's will. We're in the latter part of verse 2, and he says, By testing you may discern what is the will of God, his good, acceptable, and perfect will. And so those are all favorable aspects of God's will that as you've been tested and as you've been following God's will, you've, you've concluded you know what? His, good, his will's good. It's gooder than my will. It's acceptable. In fact, I've got to the place where it's acceptable to me. I approve of it over my own choices. You ever go to a restaurant that you've never eaten at before? Uh, a family in our church took us to uh, a restaurant a week or so ago, invited Robin and I to go, and... Um, I'm trying to think of the name of this restaurant right now. It's the place where you, you dip stuff. What's the name of that restaurant? The melting, the melting Pot. And they bring out these pots and all these different things, and you, like, cook your own food at the table on these, these forks-like things. And, and I didn't know what to order. They, they brought the menu out. And so I said to the couple that had been there before, you order. Well, do you like this or that? I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to like. You order. And they ordered a, a lot of stuff. Turns out I liked all of it pretty much. <laughs> the only problem I had with that place was waiting for the next thing to cook. I'm like, I, so then I started learning. Get something going in that pot, get something going in that pot, and like, and then I kept, keep something going. Now, if you ever go there, maybe I could give you some tips. But what I found out was they'd been there before. And it was just better to ask them, what should I order? Because they knew more about it than I did. See, that's, that's God. He's already been where you're headed. He lives outside of time. He knows the future. He knows what's already going to happen. He makes better choices. He's sovereign. He's God, and you're not. And so you learn to live joyfully in this, knowing that all things will be well if I'll just follow him. If I'll just order what he's got set on the table for me, it'll be best for me. And so I want to follow his perfect will. It's perfect for me. It's what he wants for me. How did Jesus pray? 
How did Jesus pray? He prayed like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He didn't pray, my kingdom come, my will be done. No, he said, Father, your, your, your kingdom come, your will be done. How, how do you see God's kingdom? Well, you got, you got to make sure that Christ is king. So make Christ king of your life. Make him Lord of your life. God, you, you take the steering wheel. You drive, Lord. Jesus, your will be done. Your kingdom. Where, where's, where's the kingdom of heaven? Wherever Christ is king. Is he king at your house? The kingdom of God's coming to your house. Is Christ king? Is he Lord? Is he in charge? And so when you pray the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray, you pray like this, I think. You really go, God, you're holy. Hallowed be your name. I lift you high above all things. Your kingdom come in me. Let it start right here. Get on the throne of my heart right now. Your, your will be done in me. And then, you, and then you let it work out. In my marriage. If you're single, in the way I treat the opposite sex and the way I think about them and the way I look towards that. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done at work, in my workplace. At school, where I attend school. In my family, in my neighborhood. And you, and you begin to pray it out. I want your will in all those places. And know this, someday that prayer will be answered. It will be, ultimately. But we're participants. We're citizens of the kingdom and we pray for its fulfillment. God is looking for people that will pray like that. People whose hearts are in alignment with his. Remember what God said about David? We see this in the book of Acts. I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Is that your heart? Or are you holding something back? I've got this one thing. I've got this. I can't let go. Surrender. Find your contentment in his will. And then find yourself a joyful participant in his will. So not only, not only have you accepted his will, you want it. And you joyfully want to carry out his will. Je Jesus met with a woman at the well. She was a Samaritan woman. She, she'd been with five different men in a relationship. And the fifth man, she was just living with it. She wasn't married to him. And Jesus points this out to her. And she says, I can see you're a prophet. And he said, I'll tell you the truth. If you'd asked me for water, I would have given you living water that comes out from inside of you that never ends. She said, give me some of that water. I want some of that water so I don't have to come out of this well anymore. And he began to reveal himself to her. And he said that he was the Christ. He revealed to her who he was. And she, she took off running towards the city of Sukkar and that Samaritan town. And she said, come see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And the whole city turned out. And the disciples, meanwhile, as they were coming back from Sukkar, because they'd left Jesus alone there to get some food, and they were bringing lunch back, and they saw that woman he was talking to, which was very odd because it was a Samaritan, and it was a woman, and he's a Jewish man, and so he was breaking these kind of uh, rules of the culture. And they said, Lord, aren't you hungry? Don't you, don't you want to get something to eat? We, we went and got you some food. And here's what he says in John chapter 4. 
My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's his food. That's his food. To do God's will. To accomplish his purpose. He goes, I have food you know not of. <laughs> Talking to that woman, that's why I came here. I came here for her. Oh, she, she's a mess, but I'm going to clean her up and make her acceptable to God. And she, she's already started witnessing. She might be a mess, but it didn't take her long. She, she hadn't talked to anybody in years because of the shame. That's why she was at the well in the middle of the day when nobody goes to the well in the midday sun. But now she's wide open. She's telling everybody about Jesus. That's why I came. That's my food. I live for that. This is the committed life. We become energetic participants in the kingdom of God. Our will has become so in alignment with God's that it's like food to our souls to do what he wants. Casting off every part of that splintered heart, wanting nothing of it, but to have a pure heart, holy, given over to God's will. And it's no longer like giving up. It's even not like surrender anymore. It's love. I just don't want him to be disappointed in me. I just want him to be pleased. I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's happiness. I want to pray like the psalmist prayed. I delight to do your will. Psalm 40, verse 8. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. Your will is in my heart. I delight in doing your will. This is the transformed, this is the renovated will and heart. Some years ago, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, a woman named Eliah Morris wrote this hymn. My stubborn will at last hath yielded. I would be thine and thine alone. And this the prayer my lips are bringing, Lord, let in me thy will be done. Sweet will of God, still fold me closer till I am wholly lost in thee. Sweet will of God, still fold me closer till I am wholly lost in thee. I am tired of sin, foot, store, foot sore and weary. The darksome path hath grown dreary. But now a light has risen to cheer me. I find in thee my star, my sun, sweet will of God. Still fold me closer till I am wholly lost in thee. Thy precious will, O conquering save, Savior, doth now embrace and compass me. All discords hushed, my peace like a river, my soul a prison bird set free. Shut in with thee, O Lord, forever, my wayward feet no more to roam. What power from thee my soul can sever, the center of God's will, my home. Sweet will of God, still fold me closer till I am wholly lost in thee. May that be the prayer of our lips this day, that our hearts are so in alignment with God's heart that we joyfully and willfully follow him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you gave your life for us. And then you ask us to come follow you and to offer our lives 
wholly to you, to surrender and to be contented in you, to joyfully follow you. So Lord, I pray for that person today that's never done that, that's never given their life to you. Is it you, my friend? Are you seated here in this place? Are you in the room next door listening? Maybe you're watching online. Right where you are, the Lord is just waiting for you to surrender your heart to Him. You can do it in prayer right now. Just pray. Pray like this, Dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've been living my own way, but I repent. I turn aside from my own way and I turn to You. I believe You died on the cross, that You were raised from the grave, and that You live today. Come and live in me. Forgive me of my sin. Make me right with God. I want you as my Lord and Savior. If you're praying the prayer, believing, then he will save you and make you a child of God. Others are here and you've done that. You've, you've given your life to Jesus, but there's areas of your life. Maybe it's an area that you have to forgive someone and you haven't been willing Maybe you're exhausted and you're tired and you're ready to give up on something he's called you to do. And you're just like, Lord, I can't do it. I'm, I'm out. I, I can't do it. And maybe he's saying to you, no, trust me, I'll give you the strength to complete what I've called you to do. I don't know what it is, but you do. The Lord's told you. Surrender. Find contentment. And it will lead to joyful participation in His will. Will you do it? Will you give that to Him, whatever He's naming to you by His Spirit? We pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen.